You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. In this week's episode of Creators and Innovators, we speak with architect Jay Nelson. When I was in my early 20s, what I, what I was making was seen more as art, and there was galleries that wanted to show it. And then now, what I'm making, you know, it's like sometimes I'll have a show at a museum, I'll be in a show at a museum or a gallery. But I'm generally, um, I think what I'm making now is kind of more in a gray area. Like, I don't think people really necessarily, s- I call it art because I know that that's what it is, but uh, I don't. I don't necessarily know that other people know that. And definitely the art world doesn't necessarily know that it's art. Jay, the owner of the Instagram handle, which is simply at J-A-Y, pretty amazing feat there. He doesn't talk about that in this episode, but he does detail the importance of knowing one's worth, designing for efficiency, and how to prioritize values in order to leave a lasting legacy. That is Creators and Innovators, presented by Visla. Go into your podcast app now and search for that show. This would be episode six, and we hope that you enjoy. Welcome back to the show. We're going to cover a lot of ground today, geographically, from Chinatown, Los Angeles to York, Maine. So the south of one coast to nearly the north of the other coast. The main focus of today's show is grain surfboards and a conversation that I had with co-owner Mike Lavecchia. They build hollow wood surfboards, which aren't simply hollow. They actually have super intricate frameworks that have very detailed engineering, but we'll get into all of that. This first conversation, however, is with Southern California shaper Cosmic Ray. That's Cos, K-O-Z, second name M-C-R-A-E. This podcast network is listener supported with an assist from brands like Need Essentials, Spy, Visla. So we like to do an occasional giveaway for listeners who donate to the show. Cos emailed me a few months back and offered to donate a surfboard to the Cos. It's also just kind of a great way for me to shine the light on a shaper, a certain board design like we did with the Elia giveaway last year, or a different construction type like we did with Tim Pony's Maui Leaf Light giveaway last year as well. So there's been a lot of conversations about mid-length surfboards on this show, mainly promoted by Devin Howard's egg advocacy. So Cause had carte blanche to build whatever he wanted to for this giveaway, and he chose a 6'9 single fin. I think it's 6'9. We'll hear him say it in this interview. But at any rate, we'll discuss it at length in this conversation. To win it, all you need to do is make a donation of any size via PayPal on surfsplendorpodcast.com slash donate. Some people have monthly recurring donations set up for $5 or more. That really funds our work here. So we have lots of growth planned for 2019 thanks to that support. So all donors will be entered to win this board. If you're already a monthly donor, you'll be entered. If you make a donation just this month, you'll be entered. And uh, I'll put all the names into an internet random name picker on March 1st. 
and one lucky person will win this thing. It's a beauty. And I put photos of it up on surfsplendorpodcast.com and then I'll post them on Instagram at surfsplendor. Anyway, here's a short conversation with Cause to give an idea for his backstory, the boards he's building, and why he's so generous. What's your, is your real name Cause McRae? It is. My full name is Michael Cause McRae, and my dad's name is Michael, so they have never once called me Michael. It's never, you know, when I was a kid, it was never like, when I was in trouble, it wasn't like Michael. There was never like taking it to the level of calling me by that name. I think my uh, first day of school is the only time I get called that, because it was like on the roll sheet. It would say Michael Cause McRae. So you go by Cause McRae. All by Cause, always been Cause McRae. There he is. <laughs> oh, that's the guy with the chopper next door. Uh, so Cosmic Ray, uh, are your parents hippies? Uh, I'd say they're modern hippies, but yeah, they were hippies for a long time. Like I think before they got married, we were, were a few weeks out of possibly growing up on a commune in, in Oregon. Like even on their uh, wedding invitation, like it's like all hand drawn, but it's like the lake and the area of where the commune was that they were going to go to after they got married and they did not go. Amazing. Yeah. My only disappointment with the name is that they only went half in like they, giving you the first name, Michael shows a lack of commitment to me, you know, like <laughs> yeah. they, sure you got the middle name as cause that matches the last name, but they should have just went all, all out cosmic no. Ray, no middle name. That's it. And you know, a lot of people like a lot of my friends for years, don't know that my first name's Michael. Like Fair even enough, recently. But they still yeah. gave you an out. They, they did. gave you an out, if which I, I don't appreciate. Be, if I wanted to be professional at some another level, right. I could have been a Michael McRae. That's yeah. right. That's right. Um, well, dude, good to finally connect with you. I've seen your work on Instagram. Oh, thank you. Yeah, boards glad you're killer. here. So how, you, how many boards have you shaped? Uh, I just hit number 200, actually like Congra- two days ago. Yeah. Congratulations. So, uh, How long have you been shaping? I'd say like the end of 2012 was when I started. What got you into it? Um, well, I grew up in Santa Barbara, and so it's, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, like shaping history out, out of Santa Barbara area, you know, Almeric, Yater, White Owl, um, just to name it. I mean, George Greeno used to hang out across the street from my parents' house. Really? So almost every day he'd be over across the street fixing his, his like windsurfing boards or you know, we had this black cat named Beulah that was like this cranky old cat. And he was the only guy that could like, that would, the cat would like let him hold her, I guess. Interesting. So I'd go over across the street and, you know, I'd, he's got those weird he had feet that are just so beat up and gnarly. And I just would be as a little kid, just watching that guy, like all crouched over boards, fixing them, smelling that resin. Then he'd be holding our cat, just petting it all chill. And he had a, he had a panel van Aerostar, which I don't even, I mean, I'm, they probably made 50 of those. But Ford Aerostar? Ford Aerostar. Panel it van. was panel van. So it was like the short one. It was all white, but it had no no, no windows on it. Interesting. It too. Yeah. It Interesting. was a funny little car because I'd never seen. We had an Aerostar growing up, but it was the full on like, you know, family mobile. With windows. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. So, so those were your influences prior to shaping. How'd you get into shaping itself? Uh, shaping, I mean, I was, I was living in LA and, you know, I was working... I was running a bar and it was great financially, but it was just like, I just wasn't excited. Like I wasn't happy to be that is that was like the only thing I was doing and some personal stuff, me and my wife, 
then girlfriend had been separated and I was super heartbroken and I just was kind of like I'm gonna I'm gonna move home for a little bit and just kind of hit restart or just kind of see how it goes if that might be where my life goes and I moved home and I had been into shaving I've always thought it was you know a cool thing my uncle shaped and it's just been you know kind of just part of my life in a weird way like as as far as always thinking it was a, a really cool thing to be able to do and I randomly just emailed uh, Ryan Lovelace, uh, just kind of out of the blue. I'd like stumbled onto his website a couple times, and I emailed him when I was like, "Hey, I'm moving back to town. Love to come check out your shop and maybe you know sweep or help you out at all." And I wasn't really expecting to hear from him, and he emailed me back the next day and was like, "Hey, I don't really need anyone to sweep my shop, but if you want to come in, just check it out." And he texted me these like intense di- directions because he lived way up, the, or his shop was kind of in this back out, but he's like. Uh, I guess they're orchid fields or whatever. And I uh, went out there and I didn't have a job because I just moved back into town. And uh, for a few weeks, I just would go out there every day and eat lunch and chill and watch them shape or um, watch them glass or just kind of help them when I could and, and just kind of started there. And then he actually took off. He was getting ready to take off for a trip to, I think, Indo or Bali or something. And he was just like, hey, man, I'm going to be gone. But if you want to shape some boards in here, you have to get your own planer. And But you're more than welcome to use the space. And... Uh, I instantly got on the phone, called Fiberglass of Ventura. They had a Hitachi planer. I called, put it on hold, went down, picked it up, came back, and uh, just started shaping some boards. And um, yeah, it was rad. And actually, one story: we were uh, one of the days I was there. I was trying to like see how like trying to like you know impress him or as core as I could be, where he was going to be glassing. And he was like, "Hey, man, if you ever need to like step out because the the fumes are so bad, just go ahead and do it." And I was like, "Oh, okay, sure, sure." But I like sat in there way longer than I should and I was just getting so dizzy and I finally was like oh okay okay I'm gonna step out for a minute and I had to go outside and like sit down for a little while because it just was cooked my head for yeah yeah uh good to learn that lesson quick and early exactly (laughs) um who have you been supplying I mean who do those 200 boards go to is it all your boards is it friends do you have people placing orders for boards yeah um well at first I mean tell you the truth i mean it's all kind of starts with like it all kind of just started on instagram just like posting stuff i was making but yeah the first few boards was just like make a board sell it on craigslist make a new take that money make another board sell it on craigslist make myself a couple boards friends boards my dad a board and then uh yeah then orders kind of like you know they they kind of as funny as it is they like come in waves where i won't have an order for a little while and then all of a sudden in one or two days i'll get two or three orders will just pop up but um, for mostly, yeah, it's all been, uh, I did a little advertising in like Deep Magazine, which was like a magazine publication. Central Coast, man. Yeah. And uh, I did like a board tracking with Sean Track, and that really, I think, kind of like helped put uh, my speed whistle model, like on the map in a sense. Like even like a year or two later, even like recently, people have hit me up and be like, yeah, yeah, that, that, that board I saw on Deep, you know, I want one of those. And it was, I didn't expect that many people to like see it or you know be that excited but it's it's so true like people will with something like a surfboard it's such a like not everyone has that money to like just pull the trigger right away they'll like you know put that money aside for a while and then six months later they're ready to get a board but so it was just kind of yeah i guess just a lot of custom orders i don't do much stuff in shops just because it's yeah you just have to have that money basically sitting in that shop till someone that exact person wants that exact board you know so speaking of the economics of it um can you make a living off selling 200 surfboards over the course of years? Um, I've, there's been times where it's paid my rent, definitely. And it's, 
you know, it covers my shop rent here. And I'd say I'm not there where it's a full-time thing where that's all I do, but yeah, I don't know. If so what do you do? Uh, I do a little bit of everything. I do some woodwork here and at my shop. I do some metal work. I'm starting to do that. I got a, a little welder here that's starting to make money off of. Um, we have a family business in Santa Barbara, Max Solar, that I've been, uh, I usually go up there. I'll drive up early on like a Monday morning, work Monday, stay at my folks, and then work Tuesday and then come home. And then I'm here the rest of the week in Chinatown. But, um, and then I'm also a SAG union actor. So, uh, you know, I live in those fields with my wife, who's also an actress. And um, yeah, we do. I just got a lot of grinds, you know. I, hustler. Hustler. So sure. you just alluded to it. We're sitting in Chinatown, Los Angeles. It's the big city. It's a sprawling metropolis of concrete and big buildings and stuff. And we're at the top of uh, the second floor, kind of the roof level of a building in a tilt-up garage, essentially. What is this, 400 square feet, 300 square feet? I think it's 12 by – I don't know the square – it's 12 by 20. And I think this the top of the ceiling, I think, is around – I want to say it's 12 feet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So 12 by 20, um, the front three quarters of the shop is your woodworking shop, and the back bit is a shaping bay. Yeah. It's really out of place in the middle of downtown LA. It's funny. It's interesting, you know? Um, but it's super cool as well. And uh, I've been in this neighborhood twice in the last couple of months, and I had no idea that there was a surfboard builder here. Yeah. This yeah. is the, and it's, it was tough to find a spot because it was always like I'd, you know, I'd email a place and be like, I'm not using resin that often. I'll keep it clean, but it's, you know, the dust. Don't even tell like, them resin, period. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I you failed really by even it. saying it. Yeah. You just beg for forgiveness later when they're yeah, the ones exactly. getting high off the fumes. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, what types of boards are you interested in building? Um, I do a lot of like, I do a lot of fishes. I do a lot of mid lengths. Um, I'm not, I've never been interested in like making thrusters. I just feel like that's such a refined thing that people, and I've never enjoyed surfing them either. So it's never been something that excites me, but you know, I do some logs, um, but mostly like mid lengths and fishes are really my like Zandona twin and my speed whistle. I'd say are my two models that, um, people are really ordering a lot those are probably the two that like i get custom orders for and then i always you know i'm doing one-offs where i'm just blending templates and then i'll surf it for a little bit and if it if i like it i'll put it on the website or yeah you know, or, but um how's the process been for you um from the first couple of boards that you started making for yourself that you rode how different are those boards from what you're making for yourself now have you seen a huge improvement yeah actually you know like i still have like you know I think it's board. I have board number one and I have board number, I think it's four. And that was like my stump model. That was like the first board that like the light really clicked on. I was like, oh man, this thing, this thing's so fast. And it was something I made, you know, the other boards came out okay, but that was the first board where I was like really excited. It's just like a little, like really like a little, you know, five, five baby, basic like mini Simmons, but super fat rails. I remember for a long time, I, my rails were really boxy. And I think that was because I was just like so scared to like overshape them. So they'd always kind of come out real 50-50 tennis ballish. But now, I mean, yeah, I've gotten it down. And it's it's tricky here because like you're saying, I'm in, in Chinatown and there's no other like shapers around here for me to go hang out with. So whenever I, I'm up in Santa Barbara, I'll go by Lovelace's shop or um, hang out or I'll stop by my buddy Mike, Mike's shop. Uh, um, I still can't say his name right. Um, Arnell, Arniel, 
Arnall. Arnall. Michael Arnall. Uh, I don't know that I'm saying yeah, it right either. He's he's a rad guy, and I hate that I'm saying that that I still cannot pronounce his name right. But um, and I feel like such a dorky little kid because I go by their shops and I'm like, oh yeah, well what are you working on? And I get so excited because no one else in LA like you know I have all my friends here, but not, none of them are really surfers or shapers so when i'm around other shapers i get like really excited like with ryan i'm just like poking around his shop i'm like oh what's this what's this and he's like trying to pack up boards and he's like you know we, we chat and everything's great but it's just like i'm i, I just like kid in a candy store just yeah. to like you know because as a shaper i mean you, you listen you literally sit in this rectangle and there's not much else you know yeah especially where i'm at there's not many there's no one else around doing what i'm doing so well, you very kindly um, offered to donate a board for our giveaway for podcast listeners. So thank you for that, first of all. Absolutely. And we decided um, rather than doing the custom thing, it would be ideal to pick a board, a design that you and I can discuss at length here right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the board that we'll be giving away. So what is it that you've decided to donate? Okay, well, I'm, I uh, shaped a 6.8 speed whistle. That's a stringerless uh, U.S. blanks. Um, and that's what I'm like currently writing to. So I just figured six, eight's kind of been like the hot, hot spot size for those. So I figured that would be the most like, cause I'm not sure who's getting it. So I figured, exactly. you know, out of everybody, I feel like a six, eight could, would be the most like spot on size for most people to enjoy that board. Why um, do you do it stringerless? Uh, you know, I started shaping stringerless boards, I'd say. It's been a while now, but like the last four or five boards that I've shaped for myself have been stringerless. Just, I don't know, like, I feel like it just sits a little higher in the water. They have a, like kind of that twist, different flex, and they're lighter. I feel, I don't know, like for the type of boards I make, I'm not making boards that are for super crucial, like heavy, late drop, you know, intense surfing. It's, you know, so, and I haven't had anyone like, you know, people are like, oh, I'm worried I'm going to snap it. And I've been making these for a while and no one's I haven't had anyone say they've snapped it and I feel like the glassing is a big part of that I, I like to glass my boards a little heavier and do a lot of color work to where it's something that someone's like proud to own and it's not just another board they're like oh this board's worn out I'm done like I want it to be something that someone keeps for a while and once they're done surfing it either hang it on their wall or let their kids surf it or you know just something that's not going to end up in a landfill after six months you know right. or, so. so so the you're not losing any strength from the stringer. What is the glassing schedule specifically? Uh, usually on this one that we're getting, or most of my recommend, I do double six oh, uh, okay. ounce deck and then a six ounce bottom. Got it. Um, and that's kind of my standard glassing. I I feel like for the boards I make, it, like I said, they're a little bit heavier duty, but I feel like they're going to last a little longer. And got it. Yeah. Tell me about the design. So that actually came off. Uh, the original one came off an old uh, a Greeno template that uh, Ryan had gifted me a long time ago, and and just. I think it was the first speed whistle I made, I think it was like my 10th board or something. Maybe a little later than that, but um, it was more like just, I wanted just like kind of a stubby size board that I could, I was living in Venice Beach at the time and I wanted something I could carry under my arm, ride my bike down to the beach with and that's kind of like, and it just kind of evolved from there. And then I, that was, I really enjoyed surfing that board. It was fast, it was responsive. It was like a you know, loose and, uh, just a fun, you know, you catch waves on it and make sections and everything. And what does the outline look like? Uh, it's it's uh, like a rounded, the, the nose is usually about, I'm gonna say about 17 and a half, kind of a rounded, rounded nose with like kind of a soft pin 
tail that's about, I think they're usually about 16 out the tail. It's got a light V um, out the tail from about, I'd say just in front of the fin out the tail and then uh, like a rolled hole entry into a, uh, almost like a triplane through the middle a little bit. It's kind of has like a flat spot where under your feet and then it goes and it splits um, into the V out the tail. And uh, I scooped the nose a little bit, kind of so the nose is a little lighter. And um, yeah, just almost like a kind of like a double ender in a, a little bit. But yeah, it's uh, what's the fin setup? Just single fin. Who glasses the boards, or who glassed this one specifically? Um, I have um, uh, Ocean Works glasses my boards. So uh, um, actually, Jim should is coming by probably around after, probably in an hour or something. He'll be here, but. He's been great, man. He picks up and delivers, and sometimes when I'm up in Santa Barbara, if I'm working, like, you know, Thursday, Friday up there, I can meet him in Carp at CI, or I can meet him at Lovelace's spot. Like, two weeks ago, I met him at 7 a.m. at Lovelace's before I started my shift working with my pop, so it's been good. Very flexible, and yeah, and once, and I have, my wife's mom lives down in Irvine, so once in a while, if it works out, I can drop stuff up at his shop, which is down, I believe, in Costa Mesa, so it's great. They do killer work, and you know, it's it's nice to know that my boards are done well by like it's important. You know, small crew of guys. You know, and, yeah, it's absolutely yeah. important. Awesome. Well, how do people get a hold of you? Where can they see your work? All that sort of stuff. Um, Instagram's a big one. Cosmic Ray Surfing Boards. Um, can you spell it. K O Z M C R A E Surfing Boards. Perfect. And then um, I have a website which is cos cosmicraysurf.com. Well, dude, thank you for the support. Yeah. Hugely appreciate it. Yeah, I was listening to the podcast for a while, and I was finally like, all right, I'm getting a lot out of this. So I, I, I got the automatic donation, and then I was like, yeah, I'll do a board for them. That'd be fun. Super cool, dude. Yeah. All right, thank you. That is super generous of Cause. I've linked to his work on our website and on Instagram. Give him a follow. You'll be eligible to win that board through the month of February 2019. Thank you. Now, on to Mike Lavecchia of Grain Surfboards. One thing that I found interesting from interviewing the 42 board builders here on this podcast is that there's no common or logical path into board building. I was thinking about Mike and thinking about how unique his story is, and then I realized he's kind of exactly as unique as everyone else. There's no one path. He, however, was born in New Jersey. He moved to Vermont after high school, really just to snowboard. And there was a burgeoning company, a brand that was based nearby called Burton Snowboards. They recognized his passion and his work ethic, and he took a job there and kind of learned the ins and outs of that industry. He didn't discover surfing until much later in life. No, I never surfed actually until about, uh, until I started grain really, maybe 14 years ago. Um, I used to sail. Boats were kind of my summer thing. You know, we used to go down to the Jersey Shore. We spent a ton of time down at the shore just swimming and um, but I never got into surfing and I might say you know we used to go visit surf shops back then there were a couple big ones down at the shore but it wasn't I always felt like it wasn't very inviting you know you walk into a surf shop in those days people didn't necessarily stop and be like hey man what are you doing you know and, and start showing you around and talking about boards it was kind of it was very cool you know mm-hmm. at that time and just didn't feel very welcoming and who knows I'm a sensitive kind of guy so <laughs> it's just I didn't get pulled in but um, you know skateboarding snowboarding those are my things and being on the water I loved you know I, like I said kind of grew up around boats you know we had a little sailboat when I was a kid and just really got hooked on being on the water so 
that was always my escape. And, and those were the things. It was like boats and snowboarding were kind of my life. And I chose to go down the snowboard path, you know, for a while. All the while, he had been dabbling in boat repair and eventually boat building. He was spending summers driving down to the coast of Maine to explore his newfound love of surfing, which became more and more appealing. He eventually took the leap and moved. Once landed, he decided to try his hand at board building, using materials that he was already comfortable with. And that's where our conversation begins. I hope that you enjoy it. My name is David Scales for Surf Splendor. I'm someone who's never ridden a wood surfboard. So my first question for Mike Lavecchia of Grain Surfboards was, why wood? Well, let's see, I guess wood is just a, you know, it's kind of a material that I've always worked with. It wasn't, you know, I always talk about it when we first started making boards. It wasn't like, oh, we're foam shapers, but let's, wood seems interesting. It's just, wood was the natural material. It was kind of the only choice. Um, I was a wood boat builder before and been around wood boats most of my life and, um, just was the natural thing you know there was kind of there was no thought about it it was just like okay how do we do this out of wood I don't think I'd be making boards if you know if I couldn't do it out of wood it makes sense that that's what you were comfortable with and that's why you're doing it but for the end user is there any um, benefit to writing wood um, for the user you know I think um, there's a benefit in that the boards last a long, long time. They're super strong, very durable. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an investment either in time or in money, depending on which way you approach it. You know, if you want to build it yourself or if you want us to build you a board. But um, um, you know, if you think about it in terms of how many uses you get out of this board and what the lifespan is, it's actually a pretty, pretty cheap investment compared to. You know, a lot of boards that maybe only last a few years. Mm -hmm. um, so, of course, there's well-made foam boards. There's poorly made foam boards. You know, you kind of have to pick what you're comparing it to. But right. um, if you take care of your foam boards, they're going to last a long time. You know, if you take care of a wood board, they're going to last a long time. But uh, our boards just don't show wear and tear the way, you know, kind of your average foam board does. Um, I also think there's something to the way they surf that's very different from... Um, from in other materials you know there's something that's kind of alive i mean it's amazing how often i hear whether it's a new customer or a student you know, somebody who's kind of just getting into this and just getting on one of our boards maybe they built it maybe not but there's something you know that just feels kind of alive about the boards they have a um they have a reaction to the water and a reaction to your feet and, and that you know regular boards don't have mm. um so um you know, I do think that while they're generally a little heavier, and we could talk more about that than, than your standard foam boards, um, they feel very lively under your feet. Interesting. And once you put the board down in the water and you start paddling it, that weight, you know, it's not something you're even thinking about. You know, a couple pounds when you're carrying it to the beach, yes, you know, it's kind of in your head. But once you start surfing it, they have so much momentum and so much glide that they actually respond really nicely. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of think of it as like the opposite of a tough light board compared to a, you know, a PU board. I, I don't know all the terminology for foam because I don't have any history there. But, right. but you know, the way a tough light board or an epoxy board, maybe just historically, they've always been very light. And people say they're, they're chattery and they're yes. hard to get into waves. This is kind of the opposite of that. You know, they're, they're smooth and they paddle with speed and momentum and 
um, you can just kind of glide into a wave. They might take an extra paddle to get it moving, but then they just go, you know, okay. and you just can paddle into a wave so smoothly. Hmm. So Once they're going, how maneuverable? Do you sacrifice any maneuverability? I don't think so. You'd be surprised, you know, if you blindfolded somebody and put them on a board, they, you know, probably wouldn't really notice the difference um, as far as maneuverability. You know, they're, the boards are moving really fast. Um, the shape, you know, we have worked really hard over the years to try to build models that uh, are as advanced as anything you could do in, you know, in foam. And uh, so, you know, we really try to have boards that are very performance oriented, whether it's a, you know, a nice performance longboard or a fish or, mm -hmm. you know, we don't do performance short boards because that that is where I think weight would become kind of detrimental. But for anything kind of traditional, kind of retro, long boards, mid lengths, it's just, they just work beautifully. You talked about being in boat building. It seems like a much more profitable business to be in than surfboard manufacturing. I'm curious how that transition happened. And I mean, I think wooden boats are very similar to wooden surfboards okay. compared to like fiberglass boats. You know, I do think it's pretty niche um, as well. And there's a lot of small wooden boat builders around here. Most of them, you know, I'm friends with and maybe I've worked with from time to time. But, um, you know, wooden boats are still pretty pretty niche okay um and but they take a lot more space you know surfboard's nice it's like this manageable thing that you can build and you can be in this nice little warm shop and and uh you know you still get all the same kind of you know kind of enjoyment out of the process but it's just smaller you know but um you know we try to employ a lot of the same methods and tools and kind of the thought process that you would use if you're building a wooden boat um, into our surfboards i mean really it's how our process evolved since day one was you know thinking outside the box you know and and, and trying to think about okay well this is how people have done this in boat building you know for 100 years and there's a reason why it works you know yeah. and you can be very efficient you know, using these traditional tools and traditional methods, if you do it properly, you know, versus pulling out, um, you know, some big modern router, you know, or power right. planer, or whatever it is, you know, we really have found, and I guess we've really developed this process to really take advantage of the, you know, um, the ease of all these tools. And, you know, when you're in our shop, I don't know, I talk about this a lot, but, you know, we have a mill shop where there's noise and there's power tools, you know, you have to have that. Um, but when you're in our shop where we're building boards and shaping boards, there's no noise. You know, the radio's on. It's quiet. You're talking to the guy next to you. You know, you're not having to wear all this personal protective gear. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, you sweep up your wood shavings and they're nice. It's not dust. There's not The air is mm -hmm. not filled with dust, you know. And uh, it's just there's a lot to be, you know, appreciated about that. And, that's yeah. you know, we're not really willing to give that up for yeah. efficiency, you know. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. 
more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInJobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Well, when you were building boats, did you look at the surfboard manufacturing as a potential business opportunity? Or were you just building a couple of boards for yourself? And how did that transition happen? Yeah, I was working for a boat builder here, you know, in town, a guy that I had worked with up in Vermont. And, um, you know, at one point things slowed down and he didn't have any more work. And I found myself kind of jobless living here you know on the coast didn't know a lot of people didn't have a lot of work didn't have any work and um just decided okay well i've got a little window of time i want to build a board you know i had thought about it for a couple of years um and just all right now i'm living here it's beautiful you know we've got this little basement i've you know we used to live in burlington downtown not a lot of space to work so now i had the space so um yeah, spent a couple of months and just built built a board, really purely for fun, you know, not even a functional board, really, in hindsight. Mm. You know, I thought it would be, but there were just things that we were trying to do that weren't really very realistic. What were but, you writing uh, at the time, and then what did you build? Um, at the time, I had this 12, I ride big boards, kind of a big guy. Um, I was riding like a GNS, like a 12-foot GNS. Okay. And... Um, we built a, a nine foot wood board and we really tried to employ these methods that, you know, again, kind of harkened back to like traditional boat building. And okay. they were, uh, we didn't want to glass the board. We wanted it to be very traditional fastened. It's actually fastened with bronze screws, the way you would plank a, you know, hull of a boat. The seams were all caulked with, you know, deck sealant, like you would see on a teak deck of a boat. And it's, it's gorgeous. And I still love the concept. Um, but, um, yeah, so we built it that way, and and somehow it, it started out as nine feet. When I was finished, it was eight seven. You know, we hmm. lost five inches. I have no idea why, but it wasn't really designed after anything. It was just kind of a shape that we sketched out on plywood. And okay, um, so was it solid? It was hollow. It was hollow. Yeah, there was an internal frame, similar okay. to how it is now, but that frame was made out of cedar and it was thick, so it was thick enough that you could actually put screws into. Okay, um, and um, but yeah, the planks were thicker so that your seams could be a little, you know, a little more meat to them. So they were, you could really bond them together and make sure without fiberglass, make sure everything was sealed. Mm -hmm. um, it's gorgeous. I mean, I love the thing. But um, after that, you know, every board after that, we just had to say, okay, well, that didn't quite work. Let's modify this a little bit. Was there a flavor in it that did work that gave you kind of optimism to move forward? Um, yeah, I think you know it was the first 
it was made out of cedar, and it kind of proved that you know cedar was kind of a viable material. Okay. And if you look back, you know cedar was a pretty common wood to use. You know redwood boards and you know redwoods in the cedar family. So I knew that cedar was a good material, but this kind of proved that that it was going to work. And I knew that you know we could make it lighter. You know the board was a little heavy. You know heavier than even I wanted it to be. So. Um, you know, and I knew that it was overbuilt, so we knew that we could kind of start pulling some stuff away from it. Um, but, you know, it worked. It just took on some water, you know. So that was kind of one of the first things we had to figure out. All right, we don't want them to leak, you know. So. Yeah. Was there anybody else doing, um, in between Blake and yourself, was there anybody else doing framed wood surfboards? Yeah, totally. Okay. Um, so I you were able to kind of connect with them and communicate information? And- yeah, I mean, there was one guy for sure, Paul Jensen. He's been around for a long time. Um, and, you know, I think just like every now there's a lot of guys doing what we do. And, you know, hopefully most people are looking at what other people are doing and trying to come up with their own way of doing it, you know. And that's Mm -hmm. what we did. We looked at Paul Jensen's, and then we know Paul. And, um, you know, yes, we're doing things similar just in terms of the way we all have internal frames. They're hollow. There's no foam, you know. But that's kind of where it ends. So we, you know, we wanted to come up with a way that was, like, true to our history, you know, like kind of, tied in what we knew and you know and our method is very different from paul's other than they're all hollow and they all have a frame i mean there's a million surfboard shapers using foam and they're of all course similar but different right of know? course right so right. let's get into construction um let's start with materials what materials are you using so um we use primarily in our boards we use northern white cedar which is a wood that grows here in maine uh, we get all our wood from a mill that is about six hours north of here. Uh, same mill we've used really since like six months into it. Uh, little family-owned mill, you know, one guy, and um, we, you know, he, we've had such a great long relationship with him. He knows what we need for material. He knows our specs and our, you know, how clear the wood has to be and dry and everything and so you know he kind of saves out the stuff you know he makes grain piles every you know through all these logs and we call him up and he brings it down and you know we just have a great great relationship but that's all local it's all sustainable um you know we often keep in touch with the state keep in touch with uh the the guy running the mill who keeps in touch with the landowners and making sure that the wood is you know coming from responsible landowners and uh, there's a lot of cedar coming out of Canada. We specifically buy wood that's only grown in Maine, um, just because we want to keep the the money here. You yeah. know, we want to support the economy here. So, um, so primarily northern white cedar. We use a little bit of red cedar for accents, and and that wood we, uh, luckily for the last few years, we bought a couple thousand board feet of red cedar from a, a friend that's a builder, and he was tearing a deck off of a house this woman wanted the deck removed because it was ugly and dirty and she wanted a new plastic deck put down and he tore it off and you know luckily stopped and ran one of the boards through a planer and realized it was beautiful it's actually well there's some uh question whether it's red cedar or redwood but it's one of the two um and uh, we bought all this wood from him it's beautiful old tight you know old growth red red cedar or redwood and uh, we had to carefully go through literally plank by plank, or he did, with a, a metal detector and pull out any screws or nails or any of the old fasteners that were in there. And now every plank has two holes every foot or 18 inches. 
but um, for stringers, it's perfect. We can rip right between them and you okay. know get all these little guys. So um, that's part of it. Uh, our internal frames currently are cut out of uh, marine plywood. It's, a, it's like a mahogany plywood, um, pretty much the standard for you know most hollow wood board builders or you know kind of uh, boat builders that are doing kind of plywood construction. Um, but we're, we're always experimenting with different materials for the internal frame. That's kind of the one part I'd say we're not always happy about, you know, just because plywood's plywood. There's nothing very exciting about it. But it's it makes sense. You it's know, utilitarian. It's, it's utilitarian. You know, it's strong. It's easy to cut with a, on the CNC machine. And, um, you know, it's still wood. But I'd love to find something better. Can you explain the framing process? Like, um, I think listeners hear the word frame and they can conjure up an idea but i don't think they have any idea how complicated it actually is because we right. just did a tour through the wood shop and um there is a lot of sophisticated kind of engineering going into this can you do your best to yeah. explain it i um, hate to even burden you with the task of explaining <laughs> it but yeah it's so much easier to illustrate or show you in person but um you know, basically the internal frames make up the full shape of the of the inside of the board. So if you take take a surfboard and, you know, take away a quarter inch of skin off the board, you know, this is what's left. So our frames represent the true shape of the board, except for maybe the bottom corner of the rail, which is hand-shaped at the end. Um, but if your board has, um, you know, the frame it includes like the rocker it includes if your board has uh single concaves or double concaves or um steps in the deck or you know any, anything like that it's all designed into this frame and so basically we design a board in um we design it as a 3d model um and uh once we have a shape that's fair and true and accurate and has all the fin box you know located um, we've spent a lot of time designing programs that essentially can automatically generate our internal frames generate our you know rocker table lifts which is like a base for how we build our boards um, it can generate our you know plans that we sell all the different things that we do that are based on the true model of the board it kind of generates them automatically so when you look at one of our frames you know there's a keel running down the middle we call it a keel it's a stringer you know, but it doesn't, it's not exposed to the outside of the board. It's purely inside. And then there's a frame, let's just say every eight inches, but that might vary depending on fin box locations and things. So the stringer's running, obviously, nose to tail down the center. And what you're referring to as the frame is running horizontally, horizontally rail to rail yep. every eight inches every, or so. Yeah. And okay. that's so it's like a cross section of the board at Got that it. place. So those things interlock, you know, they where they, they connect with a little joint. And when you slide them together, you kind of have this like fishbone skeleton. Yep. But if you look closely at them, there's a lot of information on these frames that is um, comes directly from the, the model. So all your fin box locations is actually inscribed onto the frame. So there's little lines. You know, if you have a fish, there's little lines on the keel that say, you know, center FCS. And you you use a square and run those lines out towards the rail. And then on the two frames on either side of where your fin box goes, there's two lines there. You draw a line there, and where those all intersect, that's your location for your fin boxes. And you use that to locate your blocking. You know, Because a board's hollow, if you're going to drill and put hardware in, you have to have some kind of solid material. So, um, that, How thick is that frame? 
the frames are a quarter inch. Quarter inch thick. Yep. And, you know, ply. marine ply. And there's a lot of material here removed. You know, they're called lightning holes. And if you're doing it by hand, you'd use a drill press and you'd drill a series of circles. You know, that's the easiest way to do it. But, you know, ours, depending on the model, um, will remove a lot of material through kind of like a truss work, like a bridge truss, if you think of it that way. So, and this is all designed automatically through this system that we've built. So, a lot of so that saves a lot of weight, but it also makes sure that the frame is as strong as it needs to be. Right. Um, you know, and that changes this depending on the frame location, depending on you know where your feet are, all that kind of stuff. Um, so a lot of the information is in the frame that gives you all your hardware locations. Um, there's a part of the frames. There's internal templates, so you have a guide uh, in the nose of your board. You have your last frame you know, six inches back from the end of the keel, let's say, you know, and then there's nothing up there to really tell you when you when you start putting on your rails what that shape is supposed to look like. So there's internal templates that you use for all that. There's external templates that when the board's shaped, when you know, finish building it, you use it to make sure like the outline of the tail of the nose is correct. Make sure your rails are correct at certain stations. Um, there's templates to show you your tail profile, you know, how the deck rolls down into the tail. Uh, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So those are all generated. That's part of the frame set. So that that thing, you know, that kind of two-dimensional piece of plywood that comes off the CNC machine, it's, that's everything you need. You know, that, that's really, that's the entire shape of the board right there. And it's just a matter of putting it together correctly and, you know, putting together wood around it, you know. So what's that process? So you have this skeletal frame. And then do you start with the bottom? Yep. So we start uh, we start out by gluing together a panel. Um, so we take our planks. We, we get rough sawn cedar from the mill. It could be, you know, one inch, two inch thick by four inch, six inch, eight inch wide, you know, whatever length. And uh, everything gets milled up here, straight and plain, resawn on a big resaw bandsaw. Um and then we take our planks and we just start laying them out on a table, you know, so everything's book matched. So each one inch thick plank gives us two planks that are, let's call them three eighths thick. And you open them up. So that book match side, that, that's kind of, you know, it gives you like a real symmetry between the two planks. Lay them out and, um, you know, kind of see what looks good. You know, maybe somebody wants really dark wood or really figured wood or, you know, they want there's a really nice interesting band of two planks down the middle and you frame it with some red cedar to kind of capture that um so yeah you lay out your planks and decide what you like and you glue them up into a panel so you just use you know waterproof wood glue tight bond three stuff you get at the hardware store and glue that up sand it you know run it through a panel sander that we have so everything's nice and smooth and flat and uh there's a rocker table so you have you know, basically the bottom form of the board and you put your planks down, put some glue on your, a different type of glue, a, a marine adhesive on your frame and put the whole thing down on this rocker table and clamp it to the table. So you're kind of forcing the planks to contour to the bottom of the board. So your rocker table and your frame all match exactly. If you put that frame alone on that rocker table at its correct station, it's going to match the bottom contours and all that. So when you clamp it all down, you're kind of forcing the planks to just follow the rocker and form into those bottom shapes. And, you know, if you're doing a really complicated board, you know, a bonzer or something with really deep concaves, 
Um, you might build the bottom a little differently, but for most boards, most bottom contour, you can do it this way. On those rocker tables, are they adjustable? Um, so you can build your own rocker table in a number of ways. The way we do ours, and it's a product that we sell, um, you know, you would build a flat glue-up table. If you have a workbench, that maybe is all you need, but you could build kind of a ladder table, if you will. So it's just yeah. flat. You use that to glue your planks up on. And then we sell these rocker table kits that are all CNC'd. They match the board specifically. Um, you know, if you're building a 510 fish, you buy this rocker table for the 510 fish. And it comes with the hardware. And you just mount each one of those stations on those on that ladder table. Um, so it's that is not adjustable. Got it. Um, there are ways to build tables that are adjustable. Yeah. You know, you can go on forums and find all sorts of ways. But um, these rocker tables that we sell, they're specific for each model. And they're reusable. You know, you can sell them. You can reuse them as many times as you want. Mm -hmm. But uh, they'd be hard to modify to fit a different board model. I was just thinking to, you know, drop down the nose a half an inch or whatever sure um but you I know if you're creative enough and you want yeah. to experiment you can do anything sure you know and when we have people here in classes and there's you know they want to do something they want to kind of change the shape of their board or we'll help them we'll do any of that kind of stuff but you know if someone's doing it at home for the first time i might not recommend that yeah yeah okay so the bottom is now glued and rockered accurately yep where do we go from there you could take it if you need to also. No, just silence it. Cool. Um, so from there, we basically build up the rails of the board. And, you know, the rails, it's like that. All the shape, all the complicated, you know, parts of a surfboard really are in that outermost inch and a half of the board. You know, you've got your thickness is changing. You know, it's getting thinner at both ends generally. Um, your outline's changing. Um, your rail shape's changing. So... What a lot of people do, and it's kind of logical, they build up a solid mass around the outside of the board. They might laminate wood around the outside and just kind of create this solid rail, and then they can shape whatever they want. But it, to me, you know, and there's no right or wrong, but to me, you're adding a lot of material on the outside of the board. You know, for somebody that doesn't know how to shape it, you're just giving them kind of this oversized thing. And, um, you know, we really wanted to for people that don't know what they're doing, really try to add as much shape into the board as we can. So when they're through the process of building the board, you're kind of shaping the board. So it takes a lot of the mystery away. So um, our rails are designed into those frames. So if you think about every eight inches, you've got a frame. And if your keel was glued down nice and straight, you know, that center line stringer, and your frames are nice and square to your keel, you've got a point every eight inches that is dictating what your outline of your board looks like. So the very first strip you put down, we call it a chine log, it's a boat term, but it's a square piece of wood that represents the outline. And you essentially flex it around the board using, there's a little notch in the frames and you just slide it into those notches and you hopefully let the wood determine what the shape looks like using those frames as a reference. And if it's a nice piece of wood, you know, and there's no knots and uh, it should bend fairly around the outline and, you know, hopefully give you a shape that's pretty true. And you can tweak it. You can move it in or out or, you know, if you need to. But uh, if the board has a tight radius at the nose or it has a, you know, a tight pintail, you might have to steam this piece of wood. And that's really easy with a towel and an iron. What, but, uh, what's the size of that piece of wood? So that first piece, so the rails get built up using lots of 
full length pieces, but they're all fairly small in yeah. height and width. That piece is a quarter inch by a quarter inch. So it's flexible. It's a lot more flexible when it's smaller. Much obviously. more flexible, right. And uh, it's it's as long as the board, right. you know, let's say. Um, you can scarf them. You can piece them together. But uh, So, yeah, it's a nice, long, flexible piece of wood. Some boards, you don't need to steam them. Some, you need to steam it around the nose. Mm -hmm. um, do you start at the bottom, right against the bottom wood that's already glued up? Yep. So that okay. gets glued right to your bottom planks. Got it. So... Um, you know, your bottom planks reflect the bottom of the board. This chine represents the final outline of the board. It's it's an internal piece of wood, but everything else beyond this is based on that chine location. So you bend this chine around, put it in the notches, you know, get it so it looks right. Stand there for as long as you like and eyeball it, you know. You know, lift your head up and down, run your eye around the shape. If something doesn't look right, tweak it. You know, you use spring clamps to kind of hold it in place. Uh, but once you like it, we just strike a line, you know, pencil line on both sides, pull it off, put a little bead of glue down, put it back on and clamp it. And uh, there's your outline. You know, that's like the first big step. Mm -hmm. And uh, every other strip kind of follows that shape. So the next strip, we call it a starter strip. And it's similar size, you know, similar length and everything. But the top of the strip has a bead. So it has a little circular radius on top. And this strip just runs, it follows that chine log just outside of the chine log, and it uh, gets glued to your bottom planks, and it gets glued to the side of your chine. And that's your starter strip, because that's the start of all those other strips that get built up and around the frame. That one isn't as important. You don't have to trace it. You know, as long as that chine looks right, you're just gluing it, it right next in. to it. And then from there, every other strip we use uh, for the lower part of the rail is called a called a bead and bead and cove um, so it's a lot like a tongue and groove you know which you see for floors and things except it's got a cove on the bottom which is like a hollow and it's got a bead on top and those two things just lock together and they can roll on each other so where your rail your rail is almost always rolling in towards your deck right you know of course sometimes it rolls out or but uh, these strips can sit on top of the one below it and just tilt you know and roll in and follow that frame so that frame shape is telling you you know, maybe at the tail, that strip goes straight up and down because the tail is very thin and the rail is very knifey, you know. But in the middle of the board, that strip has to roll in. So those frames dictate what that strip needs to do. So as you're building it, you just keep rolling that strip in. As long as you're following your frame, you know, you're building it correctly. So you build those up. You know, maybe there's six of those on each side of the board. Um, and... Uh, you know, that's giving you your meat of your rail. Yeah. And then there's a few steps that are kind of hard to describe, but but you essentially add a few more strips to the rails, um, what we call landing strips, and they're for the top planks to glue down onto. Um, and once those rails are on, you give them a little sanding, take a spoke shave or a hand plane, clean them up, get the glue off, you know, get it looking pretty good. Um, you can give it some sanding with a fairing board if you see something that doesn't look right. Mm -hmm. The trick with these boards is there's only so much material. You know, your your entire outside skin of your board is a quarter of an inch, maybe nine thirty seconds, you know, when you're building it. But ultimately, you want it to be a quarter of an inch. So you can't decide at this point, like, oh, you know, I don't like that tail. I'm going to... You can. You can cut things and glue them on. But if you're trying to stay true, yeah. you know, you got to be really careful how much sanding you're doing got it but uh 
you clean it up and then your top planks go on similar to how do your your bottom planks go on so while it's opened up you put in any blocking inside your board where your fins are going to go where your leash is going to go um, glue up a set of top planks just like you do your bottom cut them out to match your board put the board back on the rocker table apply all the glue and glue the tops down clamp it on and you know that's like the final big step it's like there's no going back at that point yeah you know and uh you know we always talk about it in classes like that that next morning it's like christmas day you know you get to come in and unclamp your board and all the hard work is kind of done you know now you're now it's kind of like you know you've got a roughed out foam blank and you're down to like the final details Mm -hmm. you know so you know the building is done squeezing clamps fitting you know all that little meticulous stuff that you have to be really you know pay a lot of attention to is kind of finished and now you're like it's all edge tools you know it's all removing wood you know removing any of the excess stuff that gets put on you know during the building process uh gets you know gets shaped away and you know little by little that board just kind of reveals itself um are you putting in contours at that point or is all that kind of built into the design mostly that's built in you know it's it's like when that board comes off the rocker table it should have those contours so concave in the bottom absolutely yep yep and you know you could do a little bit of adding you know if you're like i just wanted a little deeper but again those planks are only so thick so you got to be really careful how much you do but uh if if the board was designed with a single concave because it's a nose rider that's you know if you build it on that table it's going to have that single concave right okay so we have a finished um hollow frame surfboard how does the board get finished from that point to be waterproofed so yeah you do your shaping you know take a fairing board to it you know fair out any humps or anything that got maybe you know messed up during the building process um sand the whole board up to about 120 grit okay so you know you're removing we sand it with 80 and then we go over the whole thing with 120 and uh you know get it the way you like it um when we build a board we brand our logo on so we have different branding irons we literally just brand it um is there a shaper's name associated with each board so if we build a board for customers yeah whoever built it um signs the board how many different people are there well that's what's different about us like uh one person builds a board start to finish here so we don't have a you know everybody does a little bit of everything so if i build a board you know i glue up the i do everything from uh, we have one guy who mills all the wood he runs the mill shop and that's just nice to keep that separate of course if we need to mill something we will but um, from gluing up the planks to glassing and polishing you know it's the same person all the way through the process so um, whoever built glass the board that's whose signatures on the board uh, you know, there's a serial number if we built it for somebody just to keep track of and, you know, put the dims. If somebody wants a little message, you know, we'll wood burn that in um, or do custom graphics. You know, we, we've done all sorts of stuff. Big wood burnings that our friend does, you know, artists, you know, people's dogs, you know, burned into the board, life size. and Funny. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, so then board goes into the glassing room we use uh, entropy epoxy which is a bio-based epoxy we've we've always used epoxy epoxy just works better with wood compared to polyester resin okay and, and it's much more you know much less harmful to the user i think i'm sure there's de- there's debates but um as far as vocs and and you know just the 
how it affects the shop life here. We've always used epoxy. You know, epoxy is a little bit softer, which I think a lot of guys don't like because it doesn't maybe polish as well. But um, it works really well with wood boards. It, it absorb, you know, can move and flex and not crack. Uh, and that's important for a wood board. Uh, but it's no VOCs. It's a bio-based epoxy. The guys at Entropy are awesome. Um, and we use one layer of four ounce glass, top and bottom. You know, you don't need much because the board, you could take our board out as a wood board and, you know, jump up and down on it, it would be fine. But if you put it in the water, chances are there's some little pinhole that would soak up some water. So we just glass them just to seal them. Got um, so it's a pretty lightweight glass job. But yeah, glass them, install the hardware, polish them. So the finishing process is actually really similar to an EPS board or PU board. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, Got it. yep. And we had to learn all that. You know, none of us had any experience in the surf industry before this. Yeah. So, um, you know, it took us a long time to kind of learn, you know, just kind of that elevated level of even shaping details and, yeah. you know, glassing details and polishing. And, you know, we went to Surf Expo like our second year in business with a bunch of boards, you know, and if, if, I'd be so embarrassed now probably <laughs> if I looked at those boards. But, um, well, the construction is where all of your kind of expertise was going into. Right. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So um, obviously all of that work goes into a specific model or a kit that your software is generating to build the rocker table and the framing and everything that goes with it. How many different model surfboards do you have available currently? Um, I'm going to just say probably about 18 it's a lot different models yeah we have everything from like a little four foot so we have some solid belly boards and hand planes but as far as like true hollow boards you know we have a four and a half foot pipo like a real traditional hawaiian pipo um up to a 12 footer you know so lots of boards we have you know a bunch of boards in the five and six foot ranges fishes and single fins um a bunch of mid-lengths. We, so we started doing some collaborations with other shapers. So we most recently uh, are doing a, the Thick Lizzie, which is a board with Ryan Lovelace, one of his models. And um, that's been awesome. That's just a very challenging board to actually to build in wood, mm. uh, but really fun. And students that come and take our classes just love building that board. Um, because they've seen people ride it on the internet or because I think of... because they see people ride it on the internet it's very different from anything we have in our yeah. lineup you know it's very thin the rails are very knifey you know it's 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 kind of twin tipped in a way you know it's very similar if it's sitting on a stand and we're working on a board you often forget you know what's the nose or tail yeah. just very similar but very thin very uh, refined and that I think has been great for classes because we can, you know, we can help people or that might be pretty intimidating to do at home. I would um, think, I mean, talking about that surf expo experience um, and you having a lot of learning to do in terms of the actual shaping, like surfboard design. Yep. I would think doing these collaborations helps expedite that process a bit. Having access to somebody like Ryan just to be able to bounce ideas off. Of yeah, them. absolutely. Yeah. We did uh, our first collaboration was with Channel Islands, which is probably eight or nine years ago now it was a long way back uh, but we went to them with the uh, this idea of um, you know creating some of their models in wood and it was really intimidating we actually went into the factory and met with uh with al and it was the, one of the days when kelly slater had just won like his eighth 
world title and he was there eddie vetter was there ramachata was there you know and we're just like these guys from maine you know with zero experience in the surf world you know and we're getting a tour around the factory and just like meeting all these guys as we're walking through and um we literally sat down in a like a conference room with all the you know the big guys at channel islands and had to we had a powerpoint presentation yeah um you know, show them kind of who we are and what we do and how we can actually really replicate their board. Because if we're going to do it and they're going to put their name on it, it needs to be the biscuit. You know, it can't be just like a hokey interpretation of the biscuit. So we had to really show them like we have the chops to, you know, to do this and and to help people at home. You know, we, we sell kits and, and, you know, we wanted to be able to offer this design for somebody to do at home. So how can we give people the tools so that the board comes out right? Because those home builders, they get to put their logo, you know, the Channel Islands logo on that board. It's pretty amazing. So uh, we've been doing that board with Channel Islands for a long time. And then we, we have a board with John Wegner, uh, Minnie Simmons, um, and we have the Ryan Lovelace board. Um, we've, yeah, so it's been great. And especially, you know, Ryan came out John Wagner comes here quite often. So to have those guys come in the shop, a lot of times the first board, you know, we'll build it, but we'll let them shape it while we're watching. So we get to actually watch like, all right, I see how they're doing this, you know, yeah. and, and that's pretty rare. You know, it's yeah. one thing to just have their phone board sitting there that we can kind of, yeah. but to let them do it and for them to have the experience shaping it in wood is really nice too. Why do you think Channel Islands... Um even wanted to enter into the collaboration with you guys at that time, you know, yeah. you present to them and what is the value proposition for them? Well, you know, I think it gave them a really cool story. You know, it was like early days when people started thinking about more environment, you know, environmentally friendly ways and materials. And I think, you know, for them, there's not a lot of cash. Of course we pay royalties to these people when we sell boards, but you know, it's pretty, pretty small. Um, but I think it, it was a great story, you know, to say that they're working with these guys and, you know, coming up with this board that's, you know, there's kind of no competition. It's a very different customer that's going to buy a wood biscuit from a foam biscuit. Right. So I just think it was, you know, kind of felt made them feel good and, you know, it wasn't yeah. a lot of risk in it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, sitting there, they were very quiet during our presentation and, you know, you just felt very awkward. And, uh, you know, I remember it was quiet and we were kind of finished and then they were like, so why wouldn't we think about doing this with lots of models? And I was just like, oh, my God, thank God, <laughs> you know, that they like this. Because, you know, they could have been like, we're done here. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Thanks for stopping by. Yeah. But uh, they were great. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it was really nice. Um, as you've gotten into more of the kind of surfboard design aspects over the years, who are shapers that you look to for inspiration or mentors? or? Um, it's a good question. I mean, I really... Personally, I'm a longboard guy. I love big glider. So, you know, Chris Christensen's boards I love. Um, you know, I really like all the stuff John Wagner does, you know, his finless boards. And, um, you know, I just love how how much he experiments with shapes and designs. Um, you know, his brother Tom Wagner I've always loved as well. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, those kind of, you know, I guess it, it's it's interesting because we're so removed from the industry. It's not like we get to see these guys, you yeah. know, or go visit their shops. Like, you know, we don't. We just we're not we're not 
you know, we don't have those benefits, but we go out and do the boardroom show every year. And that's a really nice opportunity to kind of get to say hi to people. And, um, but yeah, yeah. Well, um, in stark contrast to your early days walking into a surf shop and not feeling accepted, it's rad that Channel Islands accepts. How receptive are people when you reach out to somebody like Chris Christensen about potential projects working together, Ryan Lovelace? How receptive are they? Yeah, uh, they're they're really receptive, which has been nice. You because know, they've it, heard of you before and they yeah, respect your work. Yeah, because they've heard of and... us, I think, because, um, you know, yeah, because I think they just kind of see our shapes. We've been around long enough now. You know, we've got a great – I think the brand is just strong. You know, we have a good reputation where – you know, I don't know. I don't want to pat ourselves on the back, but I just think people, um, yeah, like we're not giving up. You know, we're like we're still here doing this thing in a very weird place. You know, in a cold climate. You know, with a lot of challenges that guys don't have. And I think, you know, we've kind of earned a little spot because of that. You know, how have um, you developed clients? Um, you talk about the brand being strong, and I agree with you. By the way, um, my familiarity with it me being kind of on the opposite coast down low in the warmth where the center of the surf industry is i think of grain and i think of like quality i'm just like oh those i'm not exactly sure what they're doing but i know they're killing it and i know they're servicing a community that like really loves their product and what they're doing right um how have you developed clientele where do customers come from we don't do a whole lot of uh marketing you know like traditional marketing we're pretty active on social media we do you know we do the boardroom show every year uh, that's kind of like our little window to get out to california and uh, we do actually spend some time out there which i'll tell you about in a minute but um you know it's a lot of word of mouth it's just a lot of kind of grassroots stuff um you know we like besides building board building boards is you know just a you know, one little component of what we do, you know, we, we definitely try to get people building their own boards, kind of working with their hands. You know, we'd much rather have you like come and take a workshop or buy a kit, you know, and build something at home with, you know, and we want to help, um, you know, as much as us just building your board. Um, so there's just, there's a lot more that comes with it. You know, the, that whole experience is so valuable, you know, more so than the, the board itself mm. in a lot of ways. So, I think because of the classes, um, because of that experience, there's a lot of connections that get made, you know. So a lot of people that come here, you know, their best friend did it, their brother did it, you know. Um, just a lot of word of mouth, I'd say. That's really our biggest thing. Uh, we, we have a lot of followers on social, social media, uh, but, um, you know, I guess our generally our customers um, – they're they're kind of coming from all over the states. You know, it's it's hard to pinpoint. But you know, we in our last class we had two guys from the West Coast, a couple New England guys. One guy came up from Florida. Maybe you'll have a Texan, you know, yeah. pop in. But um, it's usually a good mix from around, you know, kind of the Gulf, the East, and the West. Um, a couple times a year we'll get somebody from overseas. You know, we, we've had people from like. Brazil or Singapore, or Norway, um, you know, Japan, all sorts of places come and, and do this. Um, so what is that model? I mean, um, obviously, boards are the vehicle. 
how often are you doing classes and then you also mentioned selling kits as well so somebody can go to the website and buy a bo- finish board or buy a kit and build the board themselves yep yep so we started selling kits pretty early on like okay. probably our second year in business uh third yeah second or third year as soon as we kind of thought all right we got this process dialed we like it you know we'll be able to help other people do it we decided to start selling kits because the more people on wooden boards the better you know it wasn't just we didn't just want to build boards we wanted to kind of we wanted to be like evangelist for this whole thing it's interesting i mean that alone is worth a discussion why make that decision well and it's interesting because we've had a lot of people tell us it's a really bad business decision you know i mean you can go on our website for 15 bucks and buy one of our shapes on you know downloadable you know and uh it's a very fine line that we walk where we want to help people we want to share the process we want to give them the tools and the resources but, you know, we obviously don't want people to start competing businesses, you know. Um, so we just try to be careful and, and um, you know, it's worth taking the chance, I think, because this is a process that people used to get to do, you know, before there was a surf industry. You made your own board, you know, and I think there's something really powerful about that. You know, there's a connection that you have to that thing. And, and there's, you know, like I said, there's people that build a board and, we have one guy built a board, drove home to New Jersey. The board flew off the roof of his car, and he watched it get hit by a truck. Oh, no. And he sent us this email that was just almost just unreal. He was, he was just like, you know what? I can replace the board. He's like, the experience is what I went for. And he's like, that's all I really care about. Like, it was crazy to hear him say that, you know. Yeah. Um, so... You know, I think there's just so much more value in giving, you know, in helping people get into the process and, you know, work with their hands and kind of discover something, whatever it is. You know, we've had students go on to, like, rent their own wood shops and start building furniture as a hobby, you know, changing their careers, literally. Um, No, not just because they took a class, but, like, it's a huge... A seed was planted. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's i mean like i would be i'd be really curious to see i i have a i would imagine your board you're selling more boards kind of each year so you're kind of fulfilling your goals of building surfboards i would wonder if selling those kits have at all bastardized the sales or if instead it really serves almost like a marketing tool right where it's like well people hear about that thing they become interested in grain because they can either take the class or buy the kit so now there's all this added attention and interest whereas if you were just selling wood surfboards that person might not the hobby well because there's a lot of people that our classes and our kits certainly have gotten a lot more exposure than our custom boards exactly and then somebody sees oh man and then they just think like oh my friend did it but i don't have the time i'm I don't have any skills. I just want you guys to build me a board. But they wouldn't have heard of us exactly as yeah. you said. So, um, you know, yeah, I definitely think that's true. Um, and it's just a goodwill thing. Like your your heart's in the right place. And right. Like you said, you just want people to ride these things and have the experiences. Right. right. And I think that goes a long way in terms of um, building loyalty maybe with an audience and with a surf community. And, right. You know. Yeah. Yeah, we've had we have one guy who's been back twelve times to take classes. Wow! And he just you know now he's building boards and he's donating them to you know local causes. So, wow. You know, and he just can't get enough of the experience. You know, he just yeah. you know. How often are you doing the classes? So we do them uh, here in Maine. We do classes every month, once a month, uh, and then we'll do like some 
maybe a private class thrown in once in a while, but basically once a month or four days long. Um, and uh, we have a shop in New York actually too, out in Amagansett, which is near you know next town next to Montauk, and um, they're year round and they teach classes, same classes that we do, but they they run them a little differently just because the population is different out there you know, especially in the wintertime. So they do them a little more of a rolling schedule. If you want to do a class, you know, starting tomorrow for four days, great. You know, it's just kind of as people come along. Um, so your four-day classes, are they eight hours a day? It's about eight hours a day. Yeah, there's a couple of days that are a little short and a couple of days that are a little long. It really depends on, you know, how efficient pe- people are. You know, you're only as fast really as you're kind of the slowest person. But people are great, you know, and if certain days, you know, somebody's finished early, you look over and they're sweeping up the shop, you know, or they're helping this guy, you know, cut out a couple pieces or, you know, it's just this great kind of community feel that happens in the classes. You know, you get this mix of people that don't know each other. And by the end, they're like this little family, you know. Are they generally staying? I mean, it's a fairly small town. Are they all staying in the same hotel, eating at the same restaurants? A lot of times. So our old shop, we were on a little farm, and we had enough room for camping and stuff. So a lot of people actually camped out right there, and we had a kitchen and, you know, the whole deal. So that was great. Um, we've moved about a year and a half ago. We're still in a beautiful spot, and it's two blocks from the beach, which is just magic. But um, we don't have camping here. So... Uh, but we have a bunch of good friends that own a motel right down on the beach. So a lot of people stay there because he gives us, you know, great deals. And um, but, you know, it kind of depends. You know, you get mostly people stay here in York. Yeah. And almost always, you know, we get swell. Everybody jets out at the end of the day. We've got, you know, 20 boards that people can take out, you know, just load up the truck and go down and, you know, find some waves. So everyone gets to surf together. And cool. um, yeah. Yeah. It's a rad little... And we have meals, like we have breakfast and lunch each day okay. with the classes. So that's another great way just to get everybody around. And instead of having everybody leave, you know, for an hour at lunch and go do their thing, you know, really nice to get everybody to sit together at a table with all of us who's ever mm-hmm. working. Just, you know, shoot the shit. Yeah. So... That's awesome. Yeah. Um, do you work with team riders? Of our own, yeah. Um, Do you have any athletes that we've built boards with a lot of a lot of people? Actually, we don't have any like true team riders, like we, you know. Uh, but we've built a board with Dave Rostovich on the North Shore. He, we we have a mini gun that uh, we did specifically with Dave. He helped us design it, uh, and then we've built some fishes with him as well. Um, years ago, we built a board for Lane Beachley. Um, Mikey DeTemple's been here a lot. He's, you know, become a good friend, and he's he's uh, built some of our boards and, you know, is often on our boards. Um, Scotty Stopnick has a board. Cassia built a board. So we've had a lot of people over the years, you know, in and out. I wouldn't call them team riders at all, but I would just say that they're, you know, really good surfers that have built boards and, you know, yeah. and, and ride them. Yeah. And then, I mean, the traditional method with a shaper working with team riders to get feedback from that right. team rider to right. adjust, you know, models yeah. and designs and all that sort of stuff. That's been challenging. Yeah. I you know, imagine. it's hard, you know, most of those guys have other sponsors and, yeah. you know, like what we're doing with them is, it's great. If we get photos, awesome. You know, it, it's, you know, that's kind of why we're doing it. Right. Uh, of course, we always love feedback, but uh, one of the, actually the best guys, most recently, Keith Malloy built a board, came, oh. we did a class at Patagonia out in uh, Cardiff. Okay. Um, 
we do a lot of classes on the road, actually, on the West Coast and on the East Coast. And Keith came out, built a board at the store, and built a 10-footer and loves it. You know, he's probably gave us more feedback than anybody. He said it's actually kind of, even though he's tied in, you know, with Patagonia, but he said he loves it, takes it out, you know, on any day he goes logging. That's kind of his go-to board. That's awesome. Yeah. Is there any surfer, I mean... I'm assuming you're watching surfing and you're engaged in the community. Is there any surfer you see out there that you would love to build boards for and work with? Um, yeah, man, it's hard right on the spot. But, um, you know, I, I watch, uh, there's a really good long boarder right now that rides a lot of John Wagner's boards, uh, Tommy Witt. Oh, yeah. Um, I just love watching his stuff and, you know, He's riding a lot of finless boards, which isn't really our thing, but, um, you know, I, I love watching him, and I'd definitely love to get him on a board. Yeah. What surf media do you follow? I love Surfers Journal. You know, that's definitely a big one. Um, I don't know. You know, mostly, like, I don't go out and buy magazines. I'm online, you know, I'm on Surfline. I'm on uh, Magic Seaweed. Um, I think on social media I follow Surfer, you know, stuff like that, just for videos and stuff, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Who's running your social media? You have a guy? Yeah, so we have a guy, um, Nolan, who's been working here. Most of the guys have been here, well, at least three or four of the guys have been here for a long time. Um, Nolan started here kind of in college as an intern and then graduated and, you know, has been working here full time for maybe seven or eight years now. Um, really good kid, great surfer, just like all he wants to do is surf. Mm. Uh, he's in Baja right now. Um, so he's kind of our traveling, he's our workshop guy. So he, he runs all the workshops, you know, manages the scheduling, and all the prepping and all the interactions with students and teaches a lot of them. Um, he also does us, our social media. Got it. So he does a great job. And, you know, if he's away, we'll, we'll feed him photos, you know, we'll just yeah. kind of keep taking stuff. And uh, my brother Nick is a surf photographer. He lives actually right across the field, coincidentally, and uh, so he's been around since we started. You know, so we have a lot of great imagery thanks to him. Cool. Um, so between him and Nolan, I think you know we've been pretty lucky with our social media. You know, lots of good content. How often do you ride other shapers' surfboards? I don't anymore at all. Um, you know, I'm I'm not the best surfer so i pretty limited like i like riding a big board a 10.6 or an 11 footer or i like riding pipos you know belly boards and those like i'll i'll try anything but um you know i really just ride our own since i sold that gns you know back in the early days like i'm pretty much just riding our boards but that's just me i mean nolan he gets on all sorts of different boards um you know, we don't have the shapers like you guys do, so there's right. not as much access. But, you know, in our shop here, besides our boards, we have, you know, we have a Lovelace board. We have a Christensen. We have a bunch of John Wagner's boards. Uh, we have a bunch of Sean's boards from forward. Um, so, you know, we're kind of like for our local community and friends, this is like the hub. And on any given day, you know, people are coming in, borrowing boards. And, right. you know, so it's nice. We have our own little collection, you know, yeah. a good variety of shapes. But um, I would love to, uh, I'd love to get on like a big skip fry or, you know, um, I'd love a big Christensen glider, um, you know. That was going to be my, that might dovetail with my next question, which was just, um, 
Are there any shapers you would love to do collaborations with, or who would be the top of that list? Um, we've been we we are we have been talking with Chris Christensen, and we have a board um, that we're kind of in the process of working on. Um, we've you know we've been kind of dreaming about doing a gun, like a big wave board, which I think our our method really works well for a gun because that weight is just so great and the strength of the boards. Um, so, you know, if we found somebody to work with to do a, a gun, that would be pretty amazing. Um, um, yeah. I mean, in terms of other shapers, it's, it's what's tricky and this, you know, th th maybe this winds up being not part of the interview, but um, when we work with other shapers, there's a lot of challenges involved. Everybody's busy, you know, everybody's running their own company and they might love this idea of working with us, but it's such a back burner project, you know, okay. because they're not getting rich off this collaboration. And, you know, it's a great story, but they've got a million stories, you know. So it's one thing to get a shape, you know, when we, when do, we do a collaboration, um, if they send us a 3D model, the 3D model's not often dialed enough for us like we need an exact 3d model of the finished outside of the board and a lot of times their models are they're maybe 85 percent you know accurate because they're cutting them on a machine let's say and then they're hand shaping it at the end so the model doesn't have to be perfect because they're they're dialing in the nose of the tail by hand and that just doesn't work for us we can't create our internal frame based on a model that's not totally accurate so you know, we've had to kind of revert back to actually having them send us a finished board. We bought a, scan, a 3D scanner, which is like a handheld device that, you know, you can walk around the board and it pulls it in and creates a 3D model. And then we'll take that 3D model, bring it into, uh, oh, I think Shape 3D is what we use to start out and clean it up, you know, ferret, take away. I mean, literally, if there's a logo or a sticker on the board, it shows up in this model. So you have to go through and, you know, fare out anything that isn't correct, you know, dial in the rail, the exact rail shape, all that stuff. And then we can, you know, then we're good to go. But even at that point, we still need information from them as far as, let's say we want to be able to scale the board. So, you know, we have a six footer, but, you know, at six four, how wide is it supposed to be? How thick? Where, where's the fin box is supposed to be? And it's, it's a little challenging to kind of get all that information from a shaper, just because they're busy, you know, yeah. no excuse, you know, totally get it. Yeah. So those collaborations have been a little harder to kind of, you know, make happen and not because they're not willing, just because we need so much info and it's probably yeah. frustrating, you know. Um, we've actually been talking with uh, Duke Ipa about doing a board with him, which is awesome. really exciting. Awesome. Um, do you know the type of board you would do? Like a classic sting? Design? Yeah, it would be a classic sting. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, yeah. So we have a partner in L.A., um, and he's the one who's been talking with him. He actually grew up in Hawaii and, and knew Ben, I guess. Maybe they went to school together. And so, um, you know, he's been talking about it for a long time. But he got to know Duke, and now they're good friends. And he's, you know, uh, actually has our 3D scanner, and he's supposed to be scanning one of those models. Awesome. So, yeah, that's kind of one of the next up-and-coming ones. That's very cool. So, you know, because that's been challenging, you know, it's been a little bit easier for us, and we've been we've been wanting to develop our own shop so that we can actually, you know, revamp some of our older models and you know, just give ourselves the capability to design new shapes. 
without always having to go to somebody else. Right. And we've been designing our shapes for years, but you know, get it to a point where we can be really efficient at it. And right. uh, so, yeah. Cool. We're kind of heading down those roads. Final question for everybody interviewed is just what was the last surfboard that you rode? Um, the last board I rode was my 11.6. Uh, it's a um, kind of a big glider. It's a squash tail. It's not a pintail. But, um, yeah, I built it probably six or seven years ago. Uh, it's just a big board. I mean, for a day like today, it's perfect. You know, it's like anything up to stomach or chest high it's beautiful you know lots of speed really smooth you know just a big platform single fin single fin yeah nice. yep. awesome well mike thank you so much man you got it david thanks for coming so out i know this is a long way to come i love it yeah it's educational and yeah. beautiful Thank you, Mike, for hosting me that fine Maine fall day. It was beautiful. Uh, I want to spend tons more time up there. But I've got links to all of the images and everything that we discussed in this episode, all of that intricate framework for the various models of grain surfboards. I've got all of that on surfsplendorpodcast.com, as well as images of the boards that Cosmic Ray is donating this month, uh, February. If you make a donation in the month of February to Surf Splendor, you will be entered to win that board. We're going to pick the winner on March 1st. So thanks for all the support and just for sharing the show with friends. That's how this show grows and allows the opportunity for me to go spend time on the East Coast with guys like Mike at Green. So thanks so much for everything, you guys. I'll be back next week with an all-new episode. Until then, get back into the water, share some waves, and shred them. Walks the other way as the last ships